0: Sixty-eight cities took part all over the globe. They had more than seventeen thousand people participating. Four hundred forty-one thousand observations made of human civilization. You, you are listening to Urban Wildlife Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Urban Worldwide Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Billy Brown, with
1: Tony Crosdale.
0: It's been a little while. We did that series of episodes about wildlife, um, rescue, and rehab, and that took a lot of time and energy and took a little out of us. (laughs) So I think we were kind of like, we're going to work on some other stuff in the meantime. And uh, before I get too far, I want to actually, I'll say we've had some great activity on the Patreon account. We need to thank Adam Jack and Sandy Brewbreaker both for recent contributions.
1: I'm moving so the Urban Wildlife Podcast will have a studio.
0: He's moving to a different neighborhood in Philadelphia, don't
1: worry. Yeah, yeah I'm moving to um, a neighbor, uh, neighborhood called Roxborough in, in Philadelphia, and I'll be actually next two houses down from the, an entrance to the Wissahickon Park, a 1,900-acre urban forest uh, with barred owls and pileated woodpeckers and red salamanders. And,
0: and milk snakes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a bear showed up there not that long ago. And the
0: bears moving there in a couple of weeks. Indeed. <laughs> and
1: I have a, a man cave, um, and that's where the studio will be. So uh, I'm buying a new recorder, I'm buying a new computer, and I'm getting some, some mics. So we're going to up our audio game considerably.
0: Awesome. And if you want to be part of that too, you can uh, give us a little contribution at www.patreon.com slash urbanwildlifecast. I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple reviews we got. One is from a woman named Mary, uh, who said, Hey, I'm new to your podcast and have really enjoyed the shows, but your intro music is loud, jarring and annoying. (laughs) I think this is mostly a generational thing, but I'll meet you halfway. And so I wrote Mary back and said, Hey, sorry, we can't agree on the music, but I'm glad you're liking the show. Yeah. So, and you know, if you're, if you have friends who are like, I don't know about the music, just tell them to skip 30 seconds into each episode and you'll skip the music. You'll live. (laughs) <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to mention is we got a great note from Doug Sponsor, who is both a listener as well as one of our favorite guests uh, slash subjects recently. Um, and he said he just wanted to drop a note to say that the wildlife rehab episodes you posted recently were amazing. Um, what is most haunting is the moral zeal of the people you profiled and the uncanny commonality that was evident among them even if they came from different backgrounds and live on opposite sides of the world. The wildlife rehab community gives me the impression, if you'll forgive a hasty metaphor, of a sort of monastic order. Its work goes largely unnoticed, but serves in a unique and irreplaceable way to preserve our humanity through the exercise of mercy against technocratic cruelty. It was sort of a beautiful way of highlighting something that I think we were seeing in common with a lot of uh, the people we were talking to in those episodes. And we will exercise, mer- even though we would never exercise anything but mercy, um, on the house centipede that just crawled past my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little guy. <laughs> um, I do love house centipedes. I do. Um, I'm fr- I like know, sharing with them. You know, you say that, but one of my favorite bug stories was when Magnolia was a baby and we would take baths together. She was like a, I don't know, one or something like that, or one, uh, but maybe two. I don't know, toddler. Um, and we're in the bathtub getting clean, and then um, a decent-sized house centipede crawls out of, like, the overflow drain on the bathtub yeah. and lands in the water. And my girl, to her credit, did not freak out. She was like, oh, we got to save it. <laughs> like, she didn't <literally laughs> say that yeah, The vocabulary said it, But, like, she was desperate to save that bug. And I convinced her not to use her hands because we didn't want to smush it. Um, but we scooped it out of there, left it on the windowsill um, so it could dry out and run away.
1: Oh, and um I have a new addition to the family. Shamu. Shamu. Shamu is a a tuxedo cat that I um, took in. It was uh, most likely abandoned in my park. And um, cats are abandoned regularly. Because this
0: keeps happening.
1: Yeah. And in fact, I actually got on video, this is something I wouldn't be appropriate to share. You know, um, it'd be amazing to show, but I mean, it's for my work security camera. I think it's legal issues and I'm um, like we'll fired, it. but I have a video of a of two guys pulling up in a Subaru of all cars, uh, the car, you know the, the car of environmental responsibility, you know what I mean, like of environmental <sighs> minded people, and they it wasn't uh, a Hummer, is what you're saying, right? And they uh, you know, but it's stereotypical that like birders and herpers all love Subarus, yeah. And so they um, pull up, they put a cat carrier in a trash. And then they leave, and the way that it was positioned, you couldn't see what was happening out the out the back gate of the of their um, the tailgate. And they pull away, and there's uh, an orange tabby and a and a tuxedo cat, and they just look bewildered. And then the orange tabby runs towards the center, of the cat runs into the woods. I mean, the tuxedo runs into the woods. And then when I arrived, um, the door. I, I go to open the door. For work the day, and I hear Wrrow! and I look down, as a pathetic little orange tabby that um, my friend, my wife's really good friend, one of her bridesmaids actually adopted it. Turns out, so it was chipped. They didn't want it back, and then other circumstances, that I got it videotaped. They're not gonna, they're not gonna give it back anyway. I called the the.
0: They dumped a chipped cat.
1: Yeah, and I actually called the yeah. the the you know humane society law enforcement. They never called me back because I said I got video. We can do something about this. Um, but the uh she took it in it was a thirteen year old cat it 's really sweet it 's doing really well uh she she she, she got all fixed up and the tuxedo has been it 's been like two three weeks now and um I saw it I had to come back after going to see I ordered tickets so I could go see Bohemian Rhapsody and I left my card at the work so I came back after the movie to get my <laughs> card and I see the tuxedo cat outside and just yet, just today we 're getting a um cable internet installed at the facility. Believe it or not, I've been using, for a year and a half, been using DSL. Yeah, I know. And I uh, go out back to let the guy downstairs to the um, phone lines, and I come back and I hear, and there's a tuxedo cat under, like, some plywood, and it wouldn't let me approach it, which I shouldn't do anyway because these things could very likely, I mean, there's number two rabies, rabies. The could... number two rabies yeah. vector in the state. But, you know, it's not ready to be approached yet, so... What's you know, I hate to say it, what usually happens is these things um get hungry enough and eventually they'll they'll start hanging out by the front door. I'll get it into a box and get it adopted and take it to a shelter. But what's interesting is this cat is like very similar size and shape to my cat. It's my cat's quite large, and this cat's quite large too. And where'd you get your cat? So my cat's a different story. Um, um. two weeks uh, uh two days before these two cats were dumped, I uh and mind you, only Um, A couple days after we got another tabby cat, a gray tabby cat adopted that was hanging out in the center, I come in. I have a thing for tuxedos. I said the next cat I want to get was a tuxedo, but, you know, obviously I'm not going to buy a cat, right? I come in to uh, work, and I hear, like, it's like, like, that kind of a, and I I see this uh, giant, you know, uh, tuxedo cat walk up, and I'm like, all right and it lets me pet it, and I'm like, hmm. And then I let it in the building, and it jumps right up to my lap, and like snuggles against my neck, and I'm like, all right. So I, I didn't take I it home take that care. night, and I showed pictures of it to my wife, and Angie was like, should we adopt it? And so we went over the next day to get it, and, and it stayed, you know, in the center the whole day, but I had to put it back out because I can't, you know, leave it in the building unattended. And so we came back that night to get it, and we couldn't get it in a carrier because the carrier is too small. <laughs> so she said, why don't you just pick it up? And I picked it up. And we drove home. And Angie drove. And the cat was just snuggling on, on my neck, purring the whole time. This cat is amazing. It is so sweet. It just, it just you know, we we'll watch watching a movie. Angie would be on the couch. I'll be on the easy chair. And the cat will just jump on my lap for like half an hour. Then jump snuggle up next to her, back and forth in, 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 the, in our bed. It, it goes from, you know, in between us to on her, to on me. So it likes those equally.
0: That, what happened to the other tuxedo cat?
1: It's still... It's still... We're at, still
0: trying to grab it.
1: This is the cat that was in the video, right? I know yeah. this... is not my cat. My cat was already... I already had it before it was dumped. And I could tell because it has like a white muzzle, just like the one in the video. So my, what I'm assuming is this cat's just going to start starving.
0: And come to the door. And
1: Because and, my theory is that, like, straight-up feral cats, they're not going to come to the door. But I think that people dump pets, and they... They associate people with food. Once you know, once the hunger gets the better of their shyness, they'll make themselves known. Like, my cat is so friendly. It was probably, like, immediately dumped. It's like, where's people?
0: As much as... Well, first thought is, is people who might get in debates with Tony about cats should... We'll be able to tell from this discussion the dude's a cat lover. You love cats.
1: I love cats. They're great pets.
0: And then the other part is that as much as we, res- we get mad... And I think we'll keep getting mad at the big-hearted but misguided people who feed cats outside and do things like trap-neuter and then re-abandon them, we should start by getting pissed off at the people who dump their cats.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> well, absolutely, that's where it starts. But, you know, we need to talk. Like, I made a post uh, um, uh, recently announcing that I have this cat, and I said, I because this cat is cute and cuddly, I decided to <laughs>
0: yeah, ar- artificially
1: I lengthen its life <laughs> by killing you know, domestic animals and fish to to you know to feed it, yeah. and I mean, we need to be honest about that. Like when you say you rescue an animal, you're condemning all the other animals that have to be killed to feed it.
0: It's an act of speciesism. To yeah, the term and
1: to and like rights, folks. and my thing is my point by by driving that home is one of the drivers behind the invasive species lobby is that these pets. Are, are, you know, the, these spe- the cats and dogs, but dogs don't really have a feral problem, at least in America. Yeah. But we can't let the fact that we've chosen a few animals as our companions dictate environmental policy. Yeah. Dictate land management, wildlife management. Yeah. You know, and, and we have to drive home the fact that these things kill or we have to kill to keep them alive. And there's environmental implications. There's, there's animal rights implications. Yeah. And, you know, if we do the math... You know, if you, if you euthanize a predatory animal, you save the lives of hundreds of thousands of animals. Yeah. And we need, we need to not let it, uh, the emotions get the better of us when yeah. making these decisions. And this hard line that you can't kill is, is, is nonsense because yeah. you are killing to keep these things alive.
0: No, there is no, there is no such thing as a no-kill solution.
1: Yeah, and right. in Philly, our main shelter is going no-kill.
0: The new director announced that as the goal. And so I was looking at that article again and trying to like be be careful. It, it, it wasn't that they were announcing a big policy shift, but more the intention. And it still sucks. Well, why? I mean, call,
1: you know when this um when this um, I
0: wrote my council person. Yeah. I think you probably wrote you you made a call or two about it.
1: Yeah, and this so this orange cat that showed up right my and uh, Yasmin took it. You know to her credit, and a lovely person. Um, but this uh when a cat before she took it, I was trying to figure out what to do with it. I made a call. And to another animal shelter, and are like, no, we're full. And, like, so that means some, like, Great. Some, some, like.
0: They're full. They're full. So they take. So what gets me mad about that is that means they're full of cats that very well might not be adoptable. Right. Because, frankly, there's probably some cats that have been there a really long time. And here's a cat that's super cuddly and friendly. Yeah. And, yeah, it's old. But, like, you know, even, it's it was a very adoptable cat. Yeah.
1: And yeah, it's adorable. It's really affectionate, and like, it's see doing why really I well. Be
0: like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Or I Just someone would be like, I, I'm moving next week. I don't have the time to do this. Like, I'm just going to dump it in the park. And
1: you're just yeah. you're you know you're just pushing the problem off to other. Yeah. In 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 my case, it's a public park. The Wildlife i in this park is public property essentially. It's a public resource yeah. to be enjoyed by everybody, and it's being diminished. Yeah. Um, through you know predation and disease. By all these cats. At and least
0: four species of snakes. I like to find there. The frogs like to find there. What's your bird count at Cobb's Creek now?
1: I'm sure it's over hundred at this point. You yeah. know, and a lot of that's probably just stuff flying over. But yeah.
0: Still, I mean, you have plenty. You, you have a robust, robust populations of songbirds. I mean, I remember the spring we were out there with Leo Shang, doing our uh, extreme Philly fishing episode. Maybe in the spring. Maybe it was like I forget exactly when it was. Might have been May. Might have been June. Um, but we're walking in there, and I'm along the creek, hearing just like constant solid bird song the whole time. A lot of warbling vireos. Remember that was the bird oh, yeah, that was like asking about. You know, we, we can't take these spaces that are natural assets and and resources for us and our neighbors and just turn them into extensions of our like backyards, you know? Or extensions of our living rooms where our pets should be, not even
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so And I also I I came home the other night to a, another tuxedo cat that lives on my block. I mean,
0: Oh, and I this saw, is the most I come home,
1: it's Halloween, and I love Halloween in our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, I love sitting on a stoop and, and you know, sitting on a porch with Angie and giving out candy to kids. It's so fun. I love yep. it. I look forward it so much. I come home and I see this tuxedo cat crouch, and I look down, and it has a white throated sparrow.
0: Yeah. Not
1: that, you know, house sparrow is you know I mean it's a house reservation species but it's still kind of sad if it was a house sparrow. but it's a white-throated sparrow. this is a bird that sings all winter long which is rare Yeah. Uh, and it's really beautiful yeah it is it's a, it's a really attractive bird yeah. it, would, it was probably bred in the you know as close as the Poconos as far away as central Alaska yeah you know and and even those birds migrate east they don't actually go down the west coast and so this bird could have, could have come from thousands of miles away and some irresponsible pet owner let their cat out and now it's dead
0: yeah
1: and so I made a post about it, I said that, and
0: yeah, I guess did.
1: because it was eloquent enough, a lot of people reposted it, and then I got in a whole new breed of arguments with people who...
0: You got some weird trolls on that thread, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a <laughs> lot of it, honestly, is a, like, we have a new climate now, and I think a lot to do with Trump, where it's empowered
0: I hope it's not just because I'm in the, the circles that care about the wildlife, but I feel like I'm seeing more pushback, and hopefully that post will be that kind of thing. The main thing we wanted to talk about today, we're going to get to a grab bag of other fun topics, but the main thing we want to talk about today is the City Nature Challenge, Tony.
1: Indeed. I'm yes. looking forward to it.
0: So the City Nature Challenge is something that came out of 2016, basically a bet between Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County and uh, the California Academy of Sciences, which is in San Francisco. It's been a long time since I've been in San Francisco, but the, the California Academy has a great like zoo slash museum with a fabulous reptile collection mm. of like Northern Californian snakes. I always love that. They do other things too, <laughs> including apparently striking up a bet between those two museums about who could do who could who could have the better bio blitz essentially. Mm. And that was 2016 and then 2017 it spread. They they invited other cities to compete. In 2018 they went international. Sixty-eight cities took part, all over the globe. They had more than seventeen thousand people participating. Four hundred forty-one thousand observations made, of eighty-six hundred species. And this is using mostly using iNaturalist as the platform for it. We found out about it like too late. Like I remember, it was March. I learned this was happening at all, and I called Robin, who would be the natural person to call for this kind yeah. of thing. maybe. Naveen, he'll mention it in a second, um, but I called Robin and I was like, "Dude, like this is happening in a few weeks. Are we doing it?" And he's like, "No, we missed the registration." I was like, "And, and I was baffled." But his group that he works for, the tucone Tacony Frankfurt Watershed Partnership, they held their own little like bio blitz that same time period. This is the end of April, three days at the end of April. And we resolved not to let it go past again. And so when the, the sign-up period came around in September, there was a lot of like, it was a very complicated process in getting signed up. But long story short, our buddy Naveen, who's uh, active in the Delaware Valley Ornithological Club, and is Philadelphia's most prolific iNaturalist contributor um, in terms of observations, He's developing a an expertise in dragonflies and damselflies, which I find impressive. <laughs> did, he, did he get eclipsed by Dan Eshelson recently, though? He was, like, way ahead of a lot of people. Dan, Did Dan just do a whole ton of...
1: Because Dan got laid off from uh, pharma. and, <laughs> and he, so he's
0: been wandering around taking pictures of Yeah, so the Dan, Dan
1: works for pharma and makes a lot of money at pharma. And all those jobs, like, he, I guess he's, he was so valuable...
0: Dan merged all the time, yeah. Yeah, and
1: he, he, he lasted through, like, I don't know, five eight mergers and, and they finally you know cut his position at you know and he was so fed up he just he hasn't worked in a year and doesn't want to and so he's just been I naturalizing it up like crazy. So
0: Naveen possibly the top contributor maybe second. But Naveen signed up and so Tony, Robin, Naveen and I are the organizing committee for Philadelphia University for Nature Challenge. But we just want to highlight this. Now you wherever you are in the globe There's not a bad chance your city is involved with this. Um, So look it up, citynaturechallenge.org. You can find the list of contributing cities. I know we have listeners all over the world. For example, Tony, do you know what our, aside from the United States, our top two countries are for listeners for this podcast? Wasn't it England and Japan? Yes. You nailed it. Yeah. So, like, Canada comes in fourth, like, Af- including the United States, which I'm kind of baffled by. I think we'd have more people in Canada than we'd have in Japan. They, I feel like it's like a David Hasselhoff joke. Yeah, they love us in Japan, We're like a cheap trick or... Yeah. You know, <laughs> or deep purple. But yeah, so we got fans in Tokyo, for example. Look it up, um, get involved with your Local City Nature Challenge, and even if you're not officially participating, maybe April 26th to 29th, which is the, are the dates this year, can be a time for you to go out uh, in your city and observe some nature, take some pictures on a naturalist, and share it around. Um, I think it's a great way. You know, our podcast is is all about like turning people on to the nature that's in their cities, and this is a great way to to get out there and look up stuff. I naturalist is more fun than I give it credit. I'm a late adopter kind of guy, and so I hadn't realized the how nice the algorithm and sort of the crowdsourcing aspect of it is, um, so that you can. Not generally not know what kind of beetle that is because who the hell knows all their beetles and you take a picture of the beetle, um, the algorithm narrows it down for you, uh, it might even suggest a specific one and then, you're you know we're all nerds of some kind I'm the I'm the reptile amphibian guy who likes to go through and ID other people's pictures of toads somewhere out there there's the beetle nerd who and hopefully a couple of them who are there and will agree that what you saw is a. Six spotted neolima to take one that I I had fun with this summer. You can observe stuff without having to worry that you got it right. You know, like you can just take a guess and other people are gonna help you out. Philadelphia yeah. is gonna kick everyone's ass. Maybe Brach. not Houston because it's further south. But.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's not the ideal time for us. A lot of things won't be quite leafed out yet and flower, and a lot of insects aren't gonna are just starting and are gonna be in like small. Life stages, but it should be really fun. I'm already planning a big day on the, that Sunday. Yeah. I'm gonna get school groups on the Friday and Monday. I'm gonna go out with them. Saturday I have to work, unfortunately, but I'm gonna my my activity is to do this with at the Fox, at Fox Chase Farm. It's a festival that day, and my activity is gonna lead people on on a natural's walk. Nice. So I'm gonna be doing four days straight of it.
0: And we're, we're, we've been contacting groups all over the Philadelphia region. Um, all the count we're doing Philadelphia and all the counties that, na- that that neighbor Philadelphia. We're gonna talk about a few things that popped up that like have not made it into their own podcast episodes exactly because it's just we haven't had a chance to pull them together. But they're really cool. So they love us in Japan. Here's someone in Fukuoka, um, Japan. Fukuoka, I think they say it. Fukuoka. Japan.
1: Southern Southern Japan.
0: I should never doubt Tony's knowledge of East Asian geography. And so we're watching a video of this where the boar gets kind of like penned in in a fence behind a building along some railroad tracks. And then this unlucky commuter just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Bam! And the boar takes him down like a bowling pin and then gores him. The guy had to go to the hospital and get a lot of stitches. It's not that nothing to joke about, but it was a hell of an interaction with a boar. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's not the kind of wildlife, urban wildlife encounter that I wish on anyone, but it, it, it is interesting that you have wild boars right in the city. It yeah. is, and there's,
0: they're in a lot of cities.
1: I assume they're native there.
0: They're um, totally native. Boars are urban in a lot of places. Berlin, most famously, we'll get to that in a second. We had an episode back in 2016 called Urban Caracals and Barcelona Boars. And that's when you can go listen to about the boars of Barcelona, Spain. So we'll say it everywhere from Barcelona to Japan, they got wild boars. It's kind of like having something that's maybe as heavy as a deer. I guess they're a little smaller in Japan than they are in Western Europe, but like still a decent-sized animal with, with as they always say, razor-sharp tusks um, and smart. Generally, not too bad. I understand unless they get wounded or freaked out, like this one was.
1: I like to talk to somebody about like the idea that domestic pig. In its own lifetime, if it gets released, starts morphing into abor- having like
0: like what is it? What happened? does it does it does it somehow shift like it's yeah? Because i more heard longer that longer I've heard that so like that? Mo- and that they're
1: Tuscan near they're, they're Tuscan enlarged. I've heard nothing about this. And anymore. and and like you know, it just one being released. And I've heard it so often that it seems like there has to be some truth to it. But I I I need to look at the literature and. And find out how that how that takes so place.
0: If you get really hungry, you can do like this guy did in a Berlin supermarket parking lot, which our German frequent guest host um, Christian Huddled forwarded along on Facebook. It was in Spiegel online, and it was the headline was "80-year-old slaughters boar on supermarket parking lot." So a guy apparently, and <laughs> shows the implements. Wow,
1: he's
0: got a long knife and a hatchet. Or I guess technically an axe. Robin corrected me on that. It was a guy who was already a butcher, so he knew how to do this. But somehow he had been feeding the boar and like got it close enough, and then like stabbed it. Um, wow! And and then um, started dismembering it. And then they found him in the parking lot with his wife and like half of a boar carcass. <laughs>
1: well, they uh, did. He was it illegal? Did charge I think him? it was illegal? It reminds me of when I was in Peru. There was this hotel, like a little motel on the side of the road. Where we stayed doing, when I was joining my friends for you know poison dart frog research, and there was a collared peccary that lived there, on the grounds, and I, I would feed it Oreos and stuff, and and they called him Senior Chancho, and then one, <laughs> and then one someone told me that there used to be two, and then they rubbed their belly. If people don't know, uh, collared peccaries are, are one of the I think there's like three or four species of New World suid. There's these, you know, these right new to. world pigs, which is a great name for a band, New World Pigs, um, but, I I th-
0: it's suits, but yeah. yeah,
1: but I think uh, I think I will actually do a band called New World Vultures, which is another. I'm working on this. This band.
0: podcast is a never-ending font of, bond, of band names. You already had g- creeping growth form. Uh, I know. They still sure. used. Um, then the second to last topic I wanted to bring up that I've been wanting to maybe we'll, we still might do something about this eventually. But um, European black-bellied hamsters, um, which are uh, a different species than the ones we tend to keep as pets. We keep some dwarf hamster species as pets and Syrian hamsters as pets, which can be mean little suckers. Um, They're well known for, like, killing other hamsters uh, if you put too many in a cage. But apparently the black-bellied hamster is a steppe and grassland species in central... Western Asia into Central Europe, and in Central Europe, they've been in decline because of um, uh, mechanized, like, monoculture agriculture, mm. um, and they live in grasslands, and that's been, you know, been all plowed up and turned into, I guess, wheat fields, corn fields, I'm not sure what. But, so these guys hold on in grassy areas in cities in their range. So in Vienna, they've got them in, like, cemeteries and university grounds and that kind of thing. So there's a fun article in on NPR, National Public Radio, for those who don't listen to it. So we can share that as well on this episode's webpage. Um, but it was really neat. It was A, it was neat just to think of, like, hamsters being wild, which of course they were at some point. The guy who they interviewed for this article, who's like someone that you, get, you who gets called in in Vienna to, to manage like how construction might impact specific hamster populations. And his, he put it, they look nice and friendly, but if you get too close, they fight you like a bear. I've got one more than Tony's got one. I've always wanted to talk about the fire salamanders of Oviedo, um, which is a city in northern Spain that got built up in um, I guess starting around the 800s. Or maybe it was the 700s. I can't remember if it was the 8th century or the 800s. Uh, but it's a really old city. And, and if you think about a small salaman- a small animal like a fire salamander, they look a lot like the North American spotted salamanders in that they're black background, bright yellow or orange markings on the, the back, that background. The, the thinking is that um, salamander as a mythical creature that was associated with fire comes from these guys being in wood piles and so then when Mm. you throw the logs on the fire they get the hell out of the logs so they were associated with fire but they're basically salamanders like we have in North America and so a walled city would, if you think of walls I mean it's not so easy for a salamander to get, get through or over them but then on top of that you know there's urbanization with buildings and streets and stuff so that whatever the original habitat was like However many hundreds of years ago, um, salamanders have been isolated from outside populations. But then within the city, populations would be, like the little subpopulations would be isolated. So you'd have a population that was just in this cemetery over there. And then on the other side of town, you might have a church courtyard where there's some more salamanders um, and so on. Uh, where, they, where they were relatively cut off from each other. There was some research done into them recently. Uh, the paper came out called Trapped Within the City, Integrating Demography, Time-Sense Isolation, and Population-Specific Traits to Assess the Genetic Effects of Urbanization by Lorenzo Alvarez, Wang, and Velo Anton. And this was in uh, Molecular Ecology, 2017. I can't say I followed everything. <laughs> Um, they're looking at various like analyses of the genetic material from the salamanders, um, and there's showing that yeah those little these little urban populations are differentiated. They're like they're definitely distinct little populations, but um, there was from what I understand somewhat confusing re- or or we they weren't entirely expecting, showing how how inbred they would be to put it in my layman's terms. Maybe I'm getting, I'm getting this wrong. I remember interviewing somebody for the turtle episode. I don't think this made it into the episode, but we're talking about how in some kinds of, um, he was mentioning some kinds of amphibians, you see less inbreeding than you would expect. Hmm. Or less, that's the wrong way to put it, um, that you see less negative effects of what we would call inbreeding, where you know you have relatively close-related animals breeding with close-related animals because that's all they got. Um, that with some of these kinds of amphibians, some amphibians you see this happening You see the inbreeding, to use the layman's term for it, happening, um, but you don't see them having a... You don't see it causing major problems in those little subpopulations. Now, I'm just sort of remembering this from a conversation that was really about something else. Um, But that sort of popped in my head when I read this article about the fire salamanders. So something to check out. And now, Tony, you had one last thing for a grab bag.
1: Well, the, um, the famous Singapore otters, have you seen this?
0: They're... They're adorable. Yeah,
1: yeah the B, uh, the Bishan Otter Family in Marina Bay, Singapore. They're uh, smooth-coated otters. So uh, a British couple was there, and they went to uh, um, there was a proposal, and the otters were like there for the proposal, like in the pictures of of this guy proposing to his fiance, and the otters are there. And so I just really, this is love that there's a a place because you know I I've been in that part of the world and like I've seen like otter crap on like boardwalks or whatever and like you know otters are tough you know to see uh, often it's strange like you know billy and i are in the woods all the time and we live in you know there's otters in here and there's a population We see
0: them on camera like the the fish cam at the fairmont down yeah they're in philadelphia we
1: have friends that have photographed them and even last week there was some in 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 philly at the john hines
0: and that was a big deal that someone photographed yeah
1: and i've seen them in the Pine Barrens, um, once, I've seen them in Cape May once, I've seen them in Florida, and I've seen them in Vancouver, and that, they're urban otters in Vancouver, too, they're right in the harbor there, so, I mean, we do have, I mean, there's the videos of those otters playing with a golden retriever, so there are populations of urban otters in marinas in, in the states, in Canada, but it's interesting how, how it happens, where, like, otters are notoriously, like, hard to see, you know, i except for, of course, giant otters, when I'm down in Brazil, they're, if you go where they are, they're if you're on a boat they're pretty easy to see.
0: But the otters that we live near that are all around us, yeah. we hardly ever actually see.
1: Right, and I've not seen I've been I mean, there's otters almost everywhere in the world that you go and I rarely see otters, you know, and and uh, it's unbelievable how like just certain populations become urbanized and tame and, and some and don't.
0: We're looking at a picture of this guy on his knees with his fiance that's standing there next to him, you know looking at the ring, and there's one, two, three, four, five otters that <laughs> kind of frolicking yeah. in the foreground.
1: These are pretty small otters. Our river otters, I mean, they're not giant otter size, but river otters, are, they're pretty big. They're they like, make it
0: look like they're, they're the audience. They're like kind of looking at
1: them. Yeah, this is awesome.
0: Really awesome.
1: So I need to, I mean, I've been to Singapore twice, but I just, this phenomenon I wasn't there. The one thing that was cool there when I was Singapore, I saw it both times I was there. There's a, a crocodile, a saltwater that hung out in this, um, park, um, Singibolo, I think you call it. It's one of the finest, like, little parks. It's this, you know, mangrove swamp, like some impoundments, like some canals, and the interpretation there, the, the, the center is first class. I mean, it's what you expect with Singapore, like all these different bird blinds, and, and like, you know, walls with like holes you can look through, and this beautiful visitor center with like fountains, and it was phenomenal. And there was, um, um this crocodile took a, Residents there, and I saw it both times I was there.
0: No way that was dangerous to anybody?
1: You know how it is. You know, the the dikes and the boardwalks you walk on, they're much above yeah. the water. You, okay. be, you know, be like going to, like, the Everglades, you know, yeah, where, yeah, like, yeah. you're not going to get eaten by it. Or,
0: like, the canals in Florida where you're really looking down on them. I I get I Yeah. Get, here I am, the reptile guy, getting nervous about a saltwater crocodile. Yeah.
1: I was much more nervous in Australia where, like, we're we're camping, like, on a river. And the guy's like, stay on this side of the road. Up the other one, the crocs are... Can't get to you over here. Like, hey. <laughs> All
0: right. Do you have anything else you want to talk about?
1: No, we're I'm, I'm good. I'm looking. I look. For, I'm looking forward to uh, the podcast studio. I'm, look, I'm looking. Me too. For, and uh, with that, there's going to be. I personally going to expand a little bit. I don't know if Philly wants to get on this a little bit, but I want to start doing like an, another companion show to this that's more general wildlife around the world, not just uh, urban wildlife interesting yeah uh, I'm, I'm looking uh, I have a a little mirrorless camera um, Sony you know Alpha 500 yeah. or 5000 I'm looking to do a little bit of some video maybe we'll do you know I'd like to start you know traveling and uh, you know I'd love to go to Miami and see those guys down there and like snorkel or a scuba dive on the on the coral on the Miami Harbor. I, I mean, wanna I wanna start going and doing video This is of- the
0: problem with the podcast is that like you end up talking about so many cool things around the world you, you want to go see them all. Yeah, and go take yeah.
1: go shoot some video of it, you
0: know? Yeah. Um, thank you again for listening to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Herb Wildlife Cast uh, And you can find our Facebook page also where you can leave us some comments and get involved that way. Um, we're always looking for more ideas, and um, we welcome content from listeners. We have done things in the past like um, have a listener interview someone he thought would be good for the podcast. We're like, sure, go ahead and interview him. we we'll put him on the podcast. That was great. Um, about urban uh, rattlesnakes in particular. And then we um, we also love to interview you guys out there, um, even if you don't think that you yourself are, maybe you are who's someone who's doing like academic research or isn't in, involved in some kind of official conservation capacity. Great, we want to talk to you if it's about urban wildlife. But Maybe you're someone who's a lay enthusiast and still knows a ton about something in particular in your home. Um, maybe you do, you're not an ornithologist, but, you know, you know a lot about the, you, maybe you know a lot about the kestrels that are living in your neighborhood in Vienna, you know, and this is something that you observe all the time and you pay a lot of attention to. Again, maybe you're not an ornithologist, but we still think you would be the a valuable contributor to the podcast. You know, get in touch. We'd love to talk to you. Um, and
1: What's our catchy phrase? Until next time, watch we... birds every day, herp every day, lep every day. Until, just the, get... until the next
0: episode. Yeah, just
1: <laughs> enjoy yourselves in the in the in the wilds of your home, in the in in the wilds of wilderness. Just get out there and enjoy yourselves.